John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. This is God's word. Let's pray. Fathers, we come now to your word. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would understand it. Lord, that we would see our sin, see your grace, become better worshipers of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's not, or it's impossible to not feel the change in this chapter. After what we have just read, we have to notice that John is presenting another side of Jesus. In verses 1 to 12, which we looked at last week, Jesus brings joy to a wedding feast that was heading towards disaster. He graciously provides the best wine in order for the festivities to continue. But here in this passage, we see a different side of the same Jesus. And this is only a few days later. Jesus violently cleanses the temple courts by making a whip and flipping over tables. Jesus is visibly angry in these verses about what is happening in the temple. We could say that John chapter 2 presents us these two different sides of Jesus. We see Jesus as both the Savior, and the Lord. He is both the Lamb and the Lion. And in these verses, we see the Lord of the temple. We see that Lion. Jesus is angry. And in the Bible, we know that there are two types of anger. Right? There is sinful anger, which is what most of us experience and show towards each other. And then there's righteous anger which is possible to have. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. It says, be angry and do not sin. If it says that, then it must be possible for us to be angry and not sin. But we often find ourselves in that category of being sinfully angry. But Jesus here in our passage is angry and he's not sinning. He's not going off the rails like we often do. He is angry about the right things and his actions are completely justifiable. But as we read this, it's shocking to think that these things actually happened. It reminds us that Jesus is not only meek and mild, but he's also holy and full of zeal for pure worship. To see Jesus this angry should lead us to see that something significant is happening here in this passage, that there is something here that we need to pay attention to. And so why is Jesus so upset? What caused him to be so angry so early on in his ministry? We know from the other Gospels that Jesus did the same thing at the end of his ministry. In Mark chapter 11, verse 17, Jesus accuses those who sold things in the temple that they had made the house of prayer a den of robbers. It's interesting to note that Jesus does this here at the beginning of, of his ministry, and yet he still has to do it at the end of his ministry because nothing has changed. But for those of you who are taking notes, I've organized this sermon into three sections. All right, so we will see the, the cleansing of the temple in verses 13 to 17. We'll see the raising of the temple in verses 18 through 22, and then we'll see the response to the temple in verses 23 to 25. And the main point, which I hope you see in the text this morning, is this. Since Jesus is the new temple, our worship centers around him alone. Since Jesus is the new temple, our worship centers around him alone. All right, so let's look at the first section, the cleansing of the temple. In verse 13, we read that the Passover was at hand. During the Passover, hundreds of thousands of people would make this pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem. This was the greatest of the Jewish feasts. It was a time to celebrate and remember how God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. And so here in verse 13, we see that Jesus went to Jerusalem to worship. Jesus was an observant Jew. This wasn't his first time to Jerusalem. He did this every year. In Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it says that his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. This was something that he had done his whole entire life. But this time, it was different. This was the beginning of his ministry. And in the Gospel of John, we find that Jesus' ministry took place between three spans of, or three spans of three Passovers. So we see the first one in John chapter 2, the second Passover, John, 
uh, Jesus goes in John chapter 6, and then the third Passover, Passover, the third and final Passover, is in chapters 13 through 21. And this is how some scholars come to that conclusion that Jesus' ministry lasted three years. It's because he attended three Passovers during his ministry. The point being made here in verse 13 is that Jesus saw worship as extremely important. He was zealous for worship. And sadly, many Christians today treat the gathering of God's people on the Lord's day as something that is optional. Depending on what other activities we have going on that compete with our church services. We somehow sadly are convinced that when our children's extracurricular activities or our favorite sports team's game lands on a Sunday, that it's okay to skip church that weekend. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, urges us not to neglect meeting together, which is the habit of some. If we find ourselves in these types of situations, We need to question our passion for worship. Jesus is the ultimate revealer of what God is like. And here we see that he values worship greatly. And we should as well. We all need to grow in our zeal for worship. And so Jesus heads to Jerusalem, to the temple for Passover. And then what does he see? In verses 14, we read that in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. The temple was the place where God's people came to praise God, to pray, to remember God's mighty works of salvation. They came to confess their sins, to offer sacrifices for forgiveness according to the law. And instead of seeing these things, Jesus finds a circus. You could almost imagine the scene here. Jesus walking into the temple, the place where God's people should be reverently worshiping him. And instead, the temple smells like a farm. And he sees the oxen oxen and the sheep and the pigeons for sale. And he hears people bartering and arguing over money. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with animals being sold and for the exchanging of money. At Passover, God had said that each family was to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and that every Jewish man had to pay half a shekel to help fund the temple. And because there were so many people coming in from out of town, traveling long distances, it was convenient to have animals to purchase and money to exchange. If you're traveling on foot for days, it's a nice benefit to come to the city and buy your sacrifice. Could you imagine trying to get an ox or a sheep all the way to Jerusalem in like perfect shape? Imagine having to feed that thing and protect it from wild animals and robbers. It was not an easy task. And so having the animals right there for purchase was a huge help. 
And this was the provision provided by the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 through 27, God allowed for people who lived far from Jerusalem to bring money to purchase whatever they needed to sacrifice. And when the money changers were there, they were there because even back in biblical, biblical times, people had to pay taxes. So each Jew who came to the temple at Passover had to pay the temple tax. And since there were people traveling from other places that used different currency, there were money changers on hand to exchange the currency. So the need for these vendors was real. And the selling of these animals for sacrifices and the convenience of the currency exchange was not wrong. But the issue was where they were located. This activity belonged outside, not inside the house of God. Instead of the temple being a place where people could spiritually step out of this world, it became a place that had been influenced and invaded by the world of man. No doubt Jesus was upset with the fact that the priests and these vendors were more than likely taking advantage of this situation and turning his father's house into a den of robbers. But what is more pressing and significant in John's account here is the location in which these people are selling. They are in the temple. The problem was that the temple had become a place of trade. Instead of hearing songs of worship, instead of hearing prayers of confession, all that was drowned out by the selling of animals and the exchange of money. And so Jesus responds in anger. Right? We see that in verses 15 and 16. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Jesus gets violent. Some people try to take these verses and soften them up. But it's super clear that Jesus is very upset. He grabs whatever is around him and makes a whip. Some people say that that whip was only for the animals. That's not what the, how I read it. But here it says he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like Jesus is only whipping animals or threatening them with a whip. Tables are being flipped over. Coins are falling to the ground. And Jesus says, get these things out of here. He probably said it with even more enthusiasm than I just did. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So why does Jesus act with holy anger and make a whip? Well, think about who he is. He tells these vendors, this is my father's house. Here we have the divine son of God coming into the temple that belongs to him. William Stilla, a, a Scottish pastor, says this, the lack of care for the pure worship of God and the salvation of souls 
filled that gentle heart of Jesus with divine anger. The Lord had come to his temple and he sees that the worship of God has been perverted and that the Gentiles are being taken advantage of because most likely all this was happening within the court of the Gentiles. And this was the only place that the nations could go to get near to Israel's God. And now there's no room for them because God's people, the Jews, are using the court of the Gentiles like a shopping mall. Any Gentile searching for truth would not find it among those merchants. So Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, has come to his temple to cleanse it from sin. This is how serious worship is to Jesus. Of course he was upset. Religion had become careless and thoughtless. Their main concern was not prayer. It wasn't about witnessing to the nations. It wasn't about worshiping the way that God has designed them to worship. It was about them. It was about their needs. It was about getting through a ritual with as little discomfort and inconvenience as possible. What does that mean for us? Because there's, there's some churches who have coffee shops or little book stalls in the back of the church. Some churches meet in movie theaters and meet in shopping malls. Is this what Jesus is coming after? No, he's not coming after that. While there may be danger to some of those things, this isn't why Jesus is upset. Our buildings are not the temple. We don't worship in a temple. What we'll see in a second is that Jesus is the new temple, and we will see that we as the body of Christ are part of the temple. John Calvin said in his commentary, the same arguments do not apply in present day to our buildings of public worship. But these verses still have application for us. As it was back in Jesus' day and as it is in our day, it all comes down to the matter of the heart. Richard Phillips says, what we do in worship reveals what we think about God. So a church that worships through dry and joyless rituals shows that it believes in an absent God. A church that stirs up emotional enthusiasm and fills the worship service with entertainment believes in a weak God that needs our help. A church focused on money reveals a God who is unable to meet our needs. But what does it say when people reverently lift their hearts in praise? It says that they think that God is worthy and great. What do Christians show when they humbly confess their sins? They show that they believe in a God who is holy and yet forgiving. What does it say when we commit ourselves to prayer? says that we believe in a God of power. And what does a church say by worshiping according to the Bible instead of the latest worship trends? It says that God matters 
more than worldly approval and that his ways are trustworthy and right. Jesus was upset because worship had become impure. It had become perverted. It wasn't about reverential worship. People came with no thought other than their own. And that's a danger for all of us. The temple was the dwelling place of God. It's where God and man met. Jesus was zealous for the house of God. And Jesus' actions here reminded the disciples of this. They were reminded of scripture, of Psalm 69, verse 9. Zeal for your house will consume me. The Lord has come to his temple and he started to refine by cleansing the temple of all of its impurities. A little side note, some of us read this and we really like it. And we want to do the same things, right? But this verse does not give us the right to get on Facebook and get on Twitter and put the church on blast. Jesus is the Lord of the temple. We're not. John Calvin again points out that we don't all grab a whip because we're not granted the same power and commission that Jesus was given. Jesus is not always zealous about what you're zealous about. Jesus is zealous about true worship. Jesus is zealous about the glory of God. Jesus is zealous about the right teaching of God. He's concerned for the souls of the lost. That is why he did this in the temple. Now, don't you find it interesting that as Jesus cleanses the temple and as he drives these people out, no one comes after him to attack him. He doesn't get arrested in this moment. The only thing that happens is that he's questioned by the religious leaders. No doubt there were many at the temple who knew that all these things that were going on were wrong, and they were probably relieved that someone had finally spoken up. But something greater was going on. And it seems like everyone there could sense it. Divine action and power was seen in this moment, the Lord had come into his temple, and this is why he gets away with it. People are shocked at the authority in which Jesus comes to do this. And so we have seen the cleansing of the temple. Now we'll focus on the raising of the temple in verses 18 through 22. The religious leaders, they come to Jesus and ask him his credentials. In verse 18, they say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? And really what they're asking is, what gives you the right to be in the temple with a weapon and then mess up the whole place? But their question here proves that they're less concerned about the pure worship of God and more concerned about authority. Definitely not the first step in repentance. They don't even take a second to think I wonder if the, there's something we have to learn here. Those with soft hearts take moments like these 
and they self-reflect. Those with hard hearts, like these Jewish leaders, immediately go to, what gives you the right? They ask for a sign, something that proves that he has the authority to do this in the temple. And so how does Jesus respond to them? Look at verse 19. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And they don't understand at this point. Nobody understands what Jesus is saying here. They say, three days? Do you realize this temple has been worked on for the last 46 years? And you think you're just going to be able to raise it up in three days? They take his words literally. No one can build a temple in three days. And also notice what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say, I will destroy this temple which what they will accuse him of saying later on in the gospel accounts. He actually prophetically says here in this moment that they will destroy it. And in verse 21, John clarifies for his readers, Jesus is talking way more than just about that earthly temple that will eventually be destroyed. He is talking about his body, which is why he says in three days, I will raise it up. He's speaking about being raised from the dead, his resurrection. You see what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is making clear to all those who have ears to hear that the worship of God's people is going to be centered exclusively around him. God will raise up a new temple. Jesus is the new temple. His death will provide the final sacrifice for sins, and his resurrection will be the temple to fulfill their worship. And so the cleansing of the temple was just a sign. But what all this has been doing is leading up to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't get it. But the disciples later did. Right? In verse 22, it says, When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. That should give some of us some comfort. For those times when we hear Jesus say something and we don't get it right away, we're in good company. But this is the sign that Jesus gives. Jesus is the new temple. In the old covenant, everything surrounded and centered around a building. But in the new covenant, everything centers around Jesus Christ. Jesus is the better temple. The temple was the place where God dwelt amongst his people. Paul says in Colossians 1.19, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And, and John had already hinted at this in chapter 1, verse 14. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or tabernacled among us. That temple was essential for the time being, but was ultimately temporary. Something better was promised, and that something arrived with Jesus, the true and final temple. Jesus is God, and he has come to dwell amongst his people. But this is also pointing us to the fact that in the new covenant, 
believers are also called the temple of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul again tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, that Christians are the temple of God. And then what we learned in 1 Peter, Peter calls us living stones, being built up into this new and living house, this new and living temple. We are the temple of God. Those whom Jesus has raised to spiritual life are now part of his temple. But in order to become part of the temple, something needs to happen. Because by nature, our hearts are no different than those of the Israelites in this passage. We are very prone to self-righteousness and full of sin. The Bible says that that is true about every single person in the world. And so there has to be a spiritual cleansing. It's interesting that Jesus takes a whip to drive out these animals and merchants. Because as God is cleansing the temple of Christ, he is whipped. And in Isaiah, it says that by his stripes, we are healed. And on the cross, Jesus becomes the filthiest sinner. Because all of our sin is imputed onto him. And the full wrath of God for our sin is laid on him. And so as our sin is laid on Christ at the cross, God destroys the temple. And yet three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, just as he said he would. And this proves that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And he accomplished what he claimed to accomplish. Jesus' death on the cross serves as that place where sin is forgiven and where man is reconciled and received into God's grace. And so the question to you this morning is, have you come to the cross? Have you confessed your sins and looked to Jesus for forgiveness? and reconciliation with God the Father. Just as the Jews had to come to Jerusalem, you now have to come to Jesus. There's no other temple. There's no other place where you can meet God. There's no other way to be forgiven and have eternal life. So we've seen the cleansing of the temple, the raising of the temple. This leads us to the last section, the response to the temple. In verses 22 through 25, we see that there are two kinds of believing. There is true belief in these disciples of Jesus, and then there is this false belief of those in Jerusalem, those who believed because they saw signs and Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. So what's the difference between these two? What's the difference between these two types of believing? Well, the difference is in who you believe Jesus to be. The people in Jerusalem like the things that Jesus could do for them. And there are many people in our day who come to Jesus on the basis of what he can do for them. 
This is a kind of belief, but it's not biblical faith. And so what is true belief? We see that the disciples believed the scripture and Jesus' words. They saw who Jesus really was. The Messiah, the Son of God, the true and better temple, the Savior of the world. Jesus never did signs to impress anyone, but to reveal himself as the Messiah and to redeem those he came to save. So who do you believe Jesus to be? Who do you believe Jesus to be? If you belong to Christ, he dwells in the temple of your heart. He sees and he knows everything and nothing is hidden from him. He knows you better than anyone else. So how passionate are you for true, pure corporate worship? Is it something to do when you've got nothing better going on? Or do you find yourself anticipating and praying for the Sunday service on Saturday night? Are you excited to worship the Father in spirit and in truth, or are you simply just going through the motions? Do you desire to worship the Lord the way that he desires you to worship? Because we are a part of the temple, Jesus will come at moments and cleanse if our hearts aren't right. But he does it in a loving way. Jesus will come at moments to cleanse us. And if you're not a believer, if you refuse to come to Jesus, then Jesus will also come to you. But he won't come to you as Savior. He'll come to you as judge. And so I urge you to believe who Jesus really is. The Messiah, the Son of God the true temple, the savior of the world. Romans 10, verse nine says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Believe in him. The temple of Jesus' body was destroyed but he raised it three days later. Jesus is the new and better temple. Those who believe in him need to see that everything, everything must center around him. Pastor Kevin DeYoung says this, every other center to our faith besides Jesus Christ crucified for sinners, raised again on the third day for our justification, Every other center deserves to be driven out with a whip of cords. Since Jesus is the new temple, our worship centers around him alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit this morning that this is a hard word, but an important one. 
We see in this passage that for Jesus, worship is extremely important. We ask that you would work in our hearts so that we do not become cold and ignorant to what you've called us to. We pray that you would cleanse the temple of our hearts, remove whatever is unclean, remove hypocrisy, remove whatever undermines Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. We pray that you would make us a people zealous for pure worship, a people who care about others coming to know Jesus and to worship him. We thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.